Those hands are leading the 
Father, once again, we thank you for this privilege you've given to us that we can uh, come before your presence, not only to ask your blessing on our life and your protection on every one of us, but that you will touch our bodies physically and heal us and touch us spiritually and, O oh Lord, already work, also do a healing in our lives. Today, Lord, we commit this service before you. And we commit everyone listening and following us online that you would encourage their hearts, Father, as we enter into this new year and we are faced with so many challenges that you would guide us and lead us. Lord, we pray for our countries. We pray for Canada especially and the United States and for every one of our assemblies uh, situated in various countries, Father, around the world, that you'll be with your people, Father. Please, O oh God, we ask for your protection and guidance in Jesus' wonderful name we ask it. Amen and amen. Well, we're certainly glad to be back today and see if God would touch our minds and help us to um, find out what the mind of the Lord is for this particular service. And, and then tomorrow is another service. Um, having been a preacher for over 50-something years, voice, my voice has a tendency to, to wear out. And so when it comes to uh, helping Nadine with the singing in this, in this uh, service, I find it rather difficult. If I sing, then I will be coughing while I'm preaching. My throat would give up on me. And so it's one of those little things in life that I'll have to uh, deal with and cope with. Well, today I was thinking about our lesson that we had on Wednesday night, and I had asked the question at the commencement of the service. Now, I've asked that question over and over and over, that if I were God, what would I do? And... Um, the last lesson on Wednesday night, we established the fact that God never errs in judgment. He is God. He is sovereign. Uh, he, there's a lot of big theological words that, can use, that we human beings can 
can use to describe God, but God does dwell in the light. Um, it's important to understand the, the concepts that we promote in our lives and in our church. Here in Colossians, the uh, first chapter of Colossians, Paul is writing uh, to this church at Colossae. And um, uh, he is addressing a few little situations here. And in particular, he talks about giving thanks, verse 12. Um, Paul, I mentioned this to you. There are a few things, you know, since the pandemic started, uh, there are a few things that I keep on mentioning to you. And some of the things I hope that you would never forget. Uh, one is uh, the, the letters that Paul wrote. Um, Colossae was a church that Paul uh, seemingly did not start. Uh, you know, when Paul made missionary journeys, uh, he made three missionary journeys, and he pioneered various churches during these three missionary journeys. And um, uh, that brings to, to mind another something that I mentioned. I'm coming back to this, but um, another thing that I mentioned uh, during that, uh, during this past year, was that take uh, Luke out of the picture, and we would not have a lot of information. Now, Luke was a not a Jew, according to what I read and understand. Luke was a, a physician that accompanied Paul. Uh, apparently, he got converted. And uh, he met up with Paul, and he accompanied Paul during a lot of Paul's missionary journeys. And Luke, it was the author of the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, these two documents that Luke produced, uh, his intention was not to send it to the church today so we can have the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles to read. But he was putting these documents together for a man, uh, seemingly a Christian uh, leader in those days, and his name was Theophilus. And uh, when Luke wrote uh, concerning the life of Christ, the life of our Lord Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, there are things that Luke covered in that Gospel that the, the other writers, the other gospel writers did not cover. We have a good picture, and so we think about Luke, putting Luke in the picture. We have, um, we hear a little bit about uh, John the Baptist, uh, his birth, his uh, parents, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Uh, Zacharias was a priest in Israel, and he was uh, from the course of Abiah, or Abijah, as some people would say. And he was fulfilling his duties in the temple. His wife was uh, up in years, and they had no children. And you know the story. You take Luke out, and we would not know uh, this uh, important element. One of the things that I would like you to encourage you to recognize in the Gospel of Luke is that the emphasis Luke makes on the Holy Ghost and the anointing and the Holy Ghost. He keeps on saying that over and over again. As a matter of fact, I keep my finger, and that's a favorite terminology. I don't think any other preacher says keep your finger in anything. 
I, that's my statement. I, I say that all the time, put your finger here, because I'm so accustomed to setting my finger in various parts of the Bible. And so here in the Gospel of Luke, in the commencement of the Gospel of Luke, there are a few beautiful things that I think uh, the gospel, the entire gospel is beautiful. But I'm picking on a few verses here in chapter 1 and verse uh, 6. As a matter of fact, I'll back up a little. Uh, he says, For as much as many, verse 1, have taken in hand to set forth in order, uh, it seems that many individuals are responsible in supplying this information that Luke uh, received. Um, sometimes we can misunderstand divine inspiration. I believe that the script, all scriptures inspired of God is given for a purpose. And when Luke is writing, I believe this gospel of Luke was inspired. But inspiration does not mean you go into trance and God takes a hold of your hand and he starts to write. No, uh, inspired means God places it in your heart and you put yourself together, bring yourself uh, in focus, and you let the Lord direct you as to what you put. And I'm sure when Luke was writing this, his intention uh, was not to write it so the church today can have the gospel of Luke. His intention, also, his understanding at that time was not, well, God is inspiring me here, and so this will be an in part of inspired scripture. No, he didn't even think about it. A lot of these men that God touched, they did not even know uh, they were inspired. Uh, when Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, he did not know what he was going to talk. Uh, Peter, in the Acts of the Apostles, when he stood up on the day of Pentecost, he did not come with his message prepared, and he had it there. Listen, I'm not against people preparing messages. I think it is necessary for a pastor and a minister to study and uh, get Get a message for the people. Pray about it. Don't get it off a book or get it off the internet. Uh, but pray and have God give you a message for the people. And so when you go there, you're well equipped. Not everyone can do what I do. Um, this is my way of doing things. For the past uh, 30 years plus, over 30 years, I've not prepared a message. I will make some notes like today. I've got some notes here. Two different sets of notes. I sat down in church and put some scriptures together uh, like I would normally do, but I'm so accustomed putting these together and never use them. And so, uh, first scripture I'm telling you, Colossians, was not something I had in mind. Now I'm in Luke, not something I had in mind. But Luke did not know that what he was writing was inspired. But you and I, from hindsight, we look back and we understand that this was inspired. And so Luke, when he was writing the Gospel of Luke, I can tell from the introduction that he was already a Christian. And he was writing, he says, many have taken in hand and set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Uh, many were giving him and many were writing about uh, things that were happening and uh, he said he include us, which means that his introduction uh, was not only to Theophilus, but he was expecting someone else to read what he was writing. So he's describing it to us, us who? Us Christians. Us 
even as they, their many, delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. I like that, ministers of the word. I'm glad he didn't say ministers of the scripture, because I believe scripture left by itself can be uh, fatalistic uh, to individuals that are not called to decipher that. You give the wrong person the scripture and he is going to find flaws and mistakes and enough to condemn the Bible completely. I read the Bible. I find grammatical errors. I find flaws. I find seeming contradictions. But my faith is strengthened when I read. And so when scripture is brought to life, it becomes the word of God. And that is why the Bible tells us that the word of God is quick and powerful. It's quick means it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So I have scripture in front of me. And when, I, when the Holy Ghost touches my mind or touches anyone's mind, and they take that up and they share it, and if the Holy Ghost is in that, the scripture is not just the letter that kill it, but it becomes alive and it reaches out to meet the needs of the people that are listening. A lot of times I would come to church and I'm not really sure what I'll talk about. And uh, when I start to preach, uh, the lesson that I'm finished preaching, I remember one day I had a, some visitors come on in and they sat in the overflow and it was a Sunday. I never saw these three men before. Uh, young men seemingly like, you know, in their 30s, 25, 30s, they came and they sat in the overflow. And that day, I got up and I preached. And when I preached, I, when I was finished, I talked for about half an hour. And when I was finished, I sat down. And I told Brother Sam, who was next to me, I said, I don't know what the heck I said today. I'm not even sure what I preached today. I felt like I made a fool of myself. And uh, so that was my conclusion. My conclusion was I made a fool of myself, not realizing that God had a purpose in that. Even a mistake can be turned to an advantage. And so uh, when church was over, those three men left the back and they came up to me. And they explained to me that they were traveling from one end of the country to the other. I think they were on their way to New York City, traveling from Michigan. And so they decided to stop in at the first church they can find, and ours was that church. And they said, I got up and preached exactly everything they were discussing in the car on their way. And uh, that was an inspiration to me because it tells me, not every time you get up and you feel like you blew it, you really blew it. I, had, I was the one that learned a greater lesson that day. Those men were inspired. Did I hear back from them? No, I never heard back from them. I had people come in all the time. I had a lady come one time, about eight years old, and she came and she sat there with her family. A whole bunch of Canadians were there. And when the service was done, she came up to me and she said, Pastor, she said, this was the first breath of fresh air I had for over 20 years. But it seems like she didn't like fresh air because I never saw her again. Uh, it happens. But a lot of times it is meant for the minister's edification that I can learn to let God take a hold of my mind. 
But it is necessary for me to get prepared and, and prepared to talk to the people. And, and uh, don't follow the trend of the world. Don't get carried away. Uh, Brother Goodman used to tell me, he says, when you get up to preach, he says, stand up to be seen. Speak up to be heard. And sit down to be appreciated. And that is so wonderful because you have to know when God is inspiring. You can always have a backup plan. Now, it is sad when we have a pandemic and I don't have a backup plan. Uh, so I can let Nadine sing a few more songs or I can bring a guitar and we can all have a jolly good time. But it, the scripture is a wonderful thing to have. But when the Holy Ghost touches that scripture and it becomes the word of God, that is important. And that is what Luke is talking about here. He says people that spoke to us were ministers of the word. This man is writing like a body man. He's writing like a Christian. He says, ministers of the word. It seems good to me also, having had perfect understanding. In verse 3, of all things from the very first, uh, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know with certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Theophilus was already instructed in certain areas, and Luke was putting together the life of Christ. So Theophilus can understand. And Luke's slant started with, uh, with um, Zacharias in verse 5, and then he said in verse 6, and I'm going to pick on just a few verses here. In verse 6, he says concerning Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth that were barren and couldn't have any children, he says... They were both righteous before God. What a statement. Zacharias and his wife. Uh, from Luke's perspective, they were both righteous before God. And it says, and walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. And then he comes down here and he talks about this angel visiting Zacharias. And said in verse 15, he says, he shall be great, this babe that is to be born. Uh, from a woman that was barren, uh, but a miracle would be wrought. He says, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and shall be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Now, I've never read that uh, from any other of the gospel writers, but Luke is putting some things together here that's wonderful. And then he gives a salutation in that same chapter that uh, the angel made to Mary. And then as you come down here and Mary arose, verse 39, after Mary was visited by the angel, it says Mary arose uh, in verse 39 and went up into the hill country in haste into the city of Judah. Uh, that is, she entered into the house of Zechariah and she greeted her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, she heard Elizabeth was with child, and now she was with child, and she greeted Elizabeth. Now listen to this carefully. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, what a way to go. Dear Pentecost did not happen yet. But prior to the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost existed and inspired men, men of old, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
And you might be struggling to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your life as a child of God. Don't fake it. God can touch you and the Holy Ghost can convict you and work in your life without you receiving the baptism. Listen, you need to work your very best to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But a lot of times, because we can't get that unction from above, we try to fake something. Don't fake the Holy Ghost baptism. Don't try to mimic something the Pentecost is doing out there. Be genuine. Be real. And that is important. And uh, she, uh, she was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she prophesied a beautiful prophecy. And it goes on further on here in verse 6 to 7. And the father, after the baby was born, and people uh, wonder what should happen. And it says his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, this is what I like with Luke. He emphasizes the Holy Ghost. And uh, we must understand and appreciate this man for putting this together because you take him out and we would not know these things in details. I'm glad that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he says he was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied. And this man prophesied. And then coming down here, uh, Zechariah in his prophecy he says in holiness, verse 75, and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou child, he's prophesying to the child, and thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Now how did Zechariah knew? That John the Baptist was going to go before the face of the Lord. What, what inspiration did he have? The Holy Ghost inspiration. And uh, Zechariah, John, John the Baptist was to be the harbinger or the forerunner of Jesus. He was to prepare the way of the Lord as Jesus came on the scene. And uh, it says to give knowledge and salvation unto the people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of God. Uh, there, here, whereby the day spring from on high had visited us. What beautiful words. To give light unto them that sat in darkness. Uh, what? What are you saying? Well, the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Ghost touched uh, Zacharias and he's prophesying, he saw the whole element of all those out there in religion. He was a priest. He looked at his buddies, the priest. But it did not stop his utterance from the Holy Ghost. Uh, you had Annas, you had Caiaphas, the high priest. You had his fellow uh, ministers uh, that ministered in the temple. There were 24 courses. And so each one of the priests had to do one course, which was approximately six months. And he served. And so he looked at his twin. He considered the 23 other priests plus the high priest, plus the leaders in that area. It didn't matter what he thought. The Holy Ghost put in his mind a mouth, and he says to give light unto them. Israel was in darkness. That sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide her feet unto the way of peace. John the Baptist came when Israel was in darkness. And that is what Jesus meant, and he says, John was a bright and shining light. If this church is all in darkness and you strike a match, it will be a bright and shining light. Well, Jesus said, John was a bright and shining light and you are willing for a season to abide in that light. 
he says, I have greater light than that of John. Isn't that beautiful? And Jesus said to his disciples, he says, the things that I do, you shall do greater things because uh, truth progresses. And that is why uh, I, I, I really appreciate my fellow ministers that feel we need a restored church. I feel we need more than a restored church. That's my take. That's what Brother Singh says. You know, I'm always the contrary, out-of-the-box person. I feel the early church, this church that started in the day of Pentecost, after a few years, it fizzled out. We can't afford to fizzle out again. We need more than the day of Pentecost. We need the day of Pentecost over again, and we need more than the day of Pentecost. We need truth restored to its maximum. And that is what we need today in order to go forward. And that is why in the book of Revelation it says, God says, I will give power. It's not there yet. The church right now is to a great extent impotent. And if during this pandemic we can see our impotence spiritually, then what can we see? If we can see in the midst of this judgment on the world that we need more of God, then, my God, are we blind also? May God help us. But here's one of the beautiful things that Luke, Luke wrote that I treasure in verse 18. Uh, now that the child, it says, And the child, John the Baptist, grew and waxed strong in his spirit and was in the deserts. Till the day of his showing unto Israel. For God to use John the Baptist, he had to avoid the path that his dad took. His dad was trained as a priest. And that was fine. There was a time when the priests all need to be trained. And disciplined. And learn things a certain way. But for God to teach God's people in John the Baptist's day and to prepare the way of the Lord, John had not even to attend. See, Paul attended the seminaries of his time. Paul was a learned man. And that is why Paul needed 14 years or so, approximately 14 years. The disciples had to send him away for God to undo what Paul had learned. Hold your finger in Luke and hold your finger in where we got. We've got Luke, we've got Colossians. We're coming into Acts in a little bit here. But um, uh, Paul, when he's writing in the book of Philippians, uh, just, just before Colossians is Philippians. Uh, chapter 3, Paul is writing about how learned he was. He was a Pharisee. And we have a tendency to call all the Pharisees hypocrites. And maybe to a great extent they were. Well, let's find out what this hypocrite, as a Pharisee, how he lived. And Paul is writing here in Colossians, uh, Philippians, the third chapter. He says here in verse, uh, verse 4, he says, though, might have, um, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Yeah, a lot of people were boasting in their circumcision. And Paul was coming now and telling the Jews that were opposing him, at that time because he was not following the tradition of the forefathers. In every aspect of it, Paul was going to the Gentiles. 
And so he said here, beware of dogs, verse 2. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the concision. Uh, he was dealing with an unconverted section of the Jewish people that held on dogmatically to the Jewish traditions. And Paul had to, to, to deal with this situation for a long time. And Paul says here, he says, though, he says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. He says, there is a circumcision that are somewhat trying to worship God, but in the flesh, the mechanics, uh, the ceremonial aspect. You see, Isaiah wrote to the Jews, ever so often, the nation of Israel uh, backslid from what God intended them to do and ended up with just the mechanics, like we here in church. Uh, maybe God is trying to tell us something. If when this pandemic is over, we go back to all the mechanics that we used to uh, involve ourselves in, come on, God will judge us again. We need to reevaluate our commitment and our methods of worship. And so here Paul is writing, he says, he says, I am a different kind of circumcision I've got. He says, for we are, we Gentiles, we children of God today, are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoiced in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Well, you know what? I've got my white shirt, so I'm a Christian and you're not. I want to tell you something. All the paraphernalia that we have and we have established over the years, most of it is good. But if the paraphernalia and the outward discipline becomes the only manifestation of godliness we portray, then we are hypocrites. A hypocrite creates an impression to be something when really inside he is not. And the Jews felt like the outward circumcision was what you Gentiles need. And Paul says, listen, we need more than that. What is wrong with an outward manifestation of, of decency and modesty? Nothing is ever wrong with modesty. I'm a believer in modesty. I'm a believer in a church looking like a church. I'm believing in a Christian looking like a Christian. But if that's all that Christian does, look like a Christian, and is a hypocrite in his heart, then it's not a good position for him to be in. And that is what Paul is saying. He's saying you, got, you follow all these ceremonial laws that were passed down to us. He says, isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? He says, but I can also boast in the flesh just like you boast. See, Paul was being criticized for his boldness of reaching into the Gentiles and says, you don't need to be circumcised. Get the Holy Ghost baptism. And a old fellowship, I said the old fellowship, his old group of people at the back, they said, you got to be circumcised. Moses said so. Well, Moses was dead and gone and God was moving on. John the Baptist came and John the Baptist uh, made the way for Jesus. Jesus came. He died. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. And the veil in the temple was rent and nobody recognized that. The veil in the temple was rent, was an expression that God did to show to the Jews that it was not man going in behind the veil to seek after God anymore. It was God coming out to meet with man. The day was changed. Ceremonial law ended when he said, it is finished. 
moral laws of God continues forever. When the kingdom of God is established, the moral laws of God will still go out from Jerusalem. The law will go out from Jerusalem. That's what the Bible tells us. And so Paul, he's trying to tell you what kind of hypocrite he was. Jesus said, our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, here is a Pharisee. Let's find out how much this hypocrite did as a Pharisee. Was he really a hypocrite? Or do we just brand everybody because we saw some hypocrites? Listen, we have men in our midst that you can never replace them. We have ministers in our midst, you can never replace them. They're called of God, sent by God, ordained of God. But we've got to recognize what God wants us to do as individuals. Start to open our minds. I must open my mind to find out what God wants me to do. Stop following just a line. You know, they say sheep follow sheep. Stop doing that. Let God direct us. And Paul said, he says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he can boast, uh, he has whereof he might trust in the flesh. He says, I've got more. Listen to me. I like when he says more. He says, I'm a better person than most hypocrites are in our day. He says, I'm circumcised the eighth day. I was circumcised. I was a Jew. So you're not the only one circumcised. I was circumcised. But here is what added was accompanying my circumcision. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says, I was one of a kind. He says, as touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. I was not a deadbeat. I did what I felt God wanted me to do. I've had individuals, when I started preaching this message, that opposed me, and today they preach the same message. Nothing is wrong with somebody making a stand against what they feel is not right. But if they have the spirit of truth, eventually they'll come around. And that is why we have to give every man a fighting chance in order to be saved. And Paul went on, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I want to tell you something. <clears throat> this hypocrite, if he was that I'm reading here, was better off than me. I can't say blameless. I still have motivations that are motivating me. Paul says, I was blameless. He says, but all of this that I was a, a part of my life, he says, what was gained to me. I was a popular man. I was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, a renowned teacher. I had my own degrees, theological degrees that I could boast about. He says, but what was gained to me? He says, those I counted loss. Why? For Christ. So when Christ comes in your life, he says, if you will be my disciple, deny yourself. Of what? Of dinner? No, deny yourself. Self must be crucified. And what the devil has done, and today I'm not talking about the devil, I was wanted to. I have a few notes here about if I were the devil, but we're not there. Uh, Paul says, what were gained to me? The prestige and the pomp and the glory that came with all the training I received 
from the Pharisees, he says, I counted loss for Christ. When Jesus comes, it makes a difference in your life. The things you used to do, you do them no more. Conversion is a changeover from one lifestyle to a different lifestyle. And he says, he says, yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. This is a personal experience with Christ that made a difference in Paul's life. He says, my Lord, he says, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. This was real. This was not one of us who said, Lord, Lord. No, his Lord was Lord. You see, when I say Jesus is Lord, it means he tells me what to do. I'm his servant. I'm his bond slave. I listen to him and I do only what he tells me to do. My life has not been the same since I met Jesus, the songwriter says. And Paul went on, he says, he says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffered. It's not easy to give up that certificate and that honor that the world gives you. It's not easy to give it up. He says, I suffer the loss of a few things. No, of all things. Every bit of the Pharisee in Paul had to be eliminated before God could send Barnabas and says, go fetch Paul. He's now ready. The Pharisee had to go, just like the Egyptian had to go from Moses. It had to go. And so he says, and do count them but dung. He says, uh, he says they, what, was, what was wonderful to me, and I would hang it up on my wall and show off everyone who I was, how great I was. He says, I flushed it. You got the message? There are examples in this Bible that we need to follow. And stop preaching about Paul and try to take his example. I try every day. I can never come up to that place. When Paul says, I have not yet apprehended later in that chapter, I am still saying that. But there's a time, he says, I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He had come to the place where Christ was fully in his life. Where it was not Paul when you looked at him anymore. It was Paul that died and Christ became alive in his life. He says, I suffer the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. What a beautiful way to go. And so when we understand this working, uh, coming back here to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke is writing about John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not need 14 years in Arabia. No, he never got the dung in his life. From a youth, God sent him into the wilderness. He didn't need a theological seminary. He didn't need all the eliteness of the world. God said, okay, son, I'm going to use you. You're going to prepare the way of Jesus. Go into the wilderness and stick, stay there until I'm done. Where was Moses? In the wilderness. Where was John the Baptist? In the wilderness. Now, if John the Baptist was brainwashed or was indoctrinated like Paul or Moses, 
he would have had to wear it a long time before he could come out and preach the gospel that he preached. And that is why when this man came up and he stood before Israel, he didn't dress like a priest's son. He didn't dress like anyone you think was out there. He wore camel's hair. And if you saw him turn up in one of our churches, we would think, he is a real rotten man. Get him out of here. Can't he see our dress code? See, a lot of times we hold on to the, the paraphernalia. We hold on to the formalities and we forget the Lord is more important than these things. We put just the outward appearance because we want to give man something to look at. But what God looks at, there's nothing for him to look because there's nothing worth on the inside. I tell you what, I would never come to church dressed like a scallywag. I believe I'm meeting with the great king and my dress must be, my attire must be fine. And so when you look at, at this gospel of Luke and you're going through the entire gospel of Luke, uh, here is one more example before we jump into Acts a little and before we get back to Colossians. It says here in chapter, uh, chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, it says in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem when the book, Jesus was being taken eight day on his eighth day. The baby was eight days old and his mom and dad took him to the temple to have him circumcised and be dedicated. They followed the principle. God didn't tell them not to follow the principle. They had to follow the principle. But they were not enslaved by the principle. Principles are good. But when our principles, good principles, enslave us and indoctrinate us and make us, our principles become an addiction. You know, church service can become an addiction. That doesn't change your life. I'm not talking about being addicted to good works. I'm talking about you should love church services, but I want to have this regular thing. You become addictive, and it does not change you. You just perform without being transformed. And he goes on here. It says in verse 25, and there, uh, now behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Isn't that amazing? See, Luke keeps on emphasizing that. And he goes on over and over and over and over and talks about the Holy Ghost. And when you go into Acts, uh, the, second, the first uh, the Acts of the Apostles, listen to me, I'm not going to even go there, because I've got five minutes. When you go to the Acts of the Apostles, Luke is the only writer that describes what happened on the day of Pentecost. He is the only writer that describes what Jesus told his disciples to go and tarry for the Holy Ghost. He is the only one that described what transpired prior to Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost was poured out. He is the only one that tells you the details about when Peter got up there and Peter started to preach. And I'm sure he probably got that from Peter. Luke probably got that information from Peter. But I wonder, often wonder, why is it the translators don't have more information about the day of Pentecost? Well, here's a weird Brother Singh's conclusion. 
My conclusion is, there must have been other documents that were avoided. There must have been other apostles that wrote about the day of Pentecost. You know, we as a fellowship, we hold on uh, to uh, the, the day when God gave Brother William Souders an experience on the banks of the Ohio River. And every time we have a meeting, we go back to the banks of the Ohio River and we talk about it. Well, greater than the banks of the Ohio River was the day of Pentecost. And everyone listening to me would agree with me. Why wasn't more written about it? Take Luke away, we would not have the day of Pentecost. Take Luke away and we would not have the conversion that followed Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. Take Luke away, we wouldn't have the miracle at the gate beautiful. Take Luke away and we wouldn't have the persecution of the church and the stoning of Stephen. Take Luke away and we would not have the missionary journey that Paul made. And that is why Paul is writing here in Colossians, uh, the first chapter of Colossians. And just a few things and then I'm finished for today. But this is beautiful. Take Luke away and a lot of things will not be accomplished. And so among the many things I've said over this, uh, this period of time, over last year, was that uh, when you think about it, we do not have one single message that Paul used to build a local church. And he was a long preacher. One day he was preaching and then uh, past midnight and a brother fell asleep and fell over and died and Paul had to resurrect him. Uh, I don't, I preach long, but I don't ever, I never preach past midnight. But Paul was a long preacher, but none of his messages that he built the churches were given to us. And God was wise in allowing that. Otherwise, today we'll poorly parrot all of Paul's messages. Men of God today need to seek God today and have God touch your mind today. And it's not chanting prayers or saying prayers is seeking God and praying prayers that will direct us. And so Paul is writing to a church. He didn't start. And when he's writing here in verse, uh, verse um, he says, verse 10, that we walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, uh, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And he says here so beautifully, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience, and long-suffering, and joyfulness. And God would help us one day because what the early church emphasized more than theology was a lifestyle, was receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost that will produce the fruit of the Spirit. When people were walking around, it was a life radiating. And that is why Jesus told the Pharisees, in Matthew chapter 15, he says, This people worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. For in vain, useless, without eternal rewards, in vain do they worship me, teaching for commandments some of man's principles. What was he talking about? Theological doctrine? No, not in Matthew chapter 15. He was talking uh, concerning the traditions. The disciples did not wash their hands. And that was a sin as far as the Pharisees were concerned. It's a healthy thing today. We are told to wash our hands. The government is telling us to wash our hands. But Jesus says in vain, in futility, would you be worshiping God 
teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And Paul went on here, he says, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Saints were coming out of darkness and walking in light. Light is not an understanding in the head only. It's an understanding and an illumination of the heart that guides our step. That is what David meant when he says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the midst of this pandemic and the crisis in the world, we need to know what God wants us to do. Well, let's have something that God has stopped. That is why I'm concerned when this is over, are we going to go back to what we were before this came? Then God will judge us like he did before it came, just like it came. And then he goes on here, he says, God had delivered us, verse 13, from darkness, uh, from the power of darkness. Not only darkness, the power of darkness. And not, tra- tra- and not reformed us, but translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through the blood of Jesus. Even the forgiveness of our sins. Who is Jesus? And this is where Jesus comes in as a very beautiful entity, as one of the the, the members of the Godhead. He is the son of a great God. He says, uh, "For who is the image of the invisible God? God the Father is invisible, but he sent his son, uh, who in the face of Jesus is the Father manifested. He says he's the image, image of the invisible God and the firstborn of every creature that is in the original creation. The son was the firstborn of all creation. He says, for in him are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and really for him. And that is why the bride would become co-heirs of Christ in the kingdom. For he is before all things, and by, by him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church. Amen? Eve, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in, all, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so today, God the Father dwells in the light which no man can approach unto He is the invisible God. And so when we uh, understand God, we can't comprehend God, but we can trust him because he never errs in judgment. And he has sent his son. And that is why Jesus is most important to us. He will bring to light what we cannot fathom in our human finite minds. He'll bring to light and clear understanding that which the father has given us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this day for another day in your house. We thank you, Lord, for this weekend. And we pray that these words we have heard today would challenge our lives. We thank you, Father, for scripture. We thank you for records that we can read. And, oh, Father, where there is no record, would you give us inspiration by the Holy Ghost that we might be able to preach your present truth unto this generation that we're living in. Touch our minds and our understanding, Father, that we might deliver your word to your people according to your plan, that we might be true disciples that will give up all things to follow what Jesus demands in our lives, Father. Help us to be genuine in everything we do. 
Bless this word today, we ask, in the wonderful name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen and amen. Amen.